0: Welcome back to Gal on the Go Unplugged. As many of my listeners know, I started Gal on the Go as a blog in 2006 to inspire other girls and women to lead bold, healthy lives. So when I met today's guest, Amy Inson, a girl empowerment coach and the founder of Worthy Girls, I told her you were meant to be on my podcast. Amy is a passionate advocate for empowering young girls and guiding them to embrace their natural strength. With a career spanning over two decades in education, from the suburbs of New York to the rural parts of Tampa, she has had a lasting impact on countless girls' lives. Amy's role as a mom to a daughter and a son gave her deep insight into the challenges and joys of parenting, particularly in raising a young woman in today's world. She is an unwavering believer in the power of young girls to use their voices and know their worth. Hi, Amy.
1: Hey, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs)
0: Thank you for being here. I have to say I am super proud to have you on my show. Of all the people I have met with these big titles, yours as Girl Empowerment Coach, to me, is the most badass.
1: Thank you. It it seems a little um, surreal to have the title of Girl Empowerment Coach after having the title of teacher for so many years, but it's, it's a blessing to have it.
0: Well, given all that you've done, I think it's so fitting, and I can't wait to share about your journey with others. So let's get right into our conversation. Uh, you spent more than 20 years, as you mentioned, as an educator, and as I mentioned, you are a mom with two. Uh, how did your experiences in those two roles influence you to become a girl empowerment coach? And start worthy girls.
1: that's a question that I've given a lot of thought to for a long time. Um, you know, I started I started my career my teaching career before I had kids, and I just absolutely loved it. And as a teacher, I would um you know, work with both the girls and the boys and you know, see what they were going through. And I started out in the um the areas in Brooklyn. Teaching, so I had you know a bunch of these girls who would come in, you know, and it was um, uniforms, and some of them didn't have uniforms to wear, and they had to borrow. So it was you know they would come into school kind of feeling deflated and defeated, automatically, um, because everyone else would have clean cut uniforms and they didn't have it. And then, you know, as I fast forward um, into my teaching career, I became a mom, and my first child was a daughter. As a little girl, you grow up, you know, pretending to play with dolls and like, oh, when I become a mom, I'm going to dress my daughter up as a little as a doll that I would. And I would do I would do my daughter's hair in like these adorable, like, I don't know, just just hairstyles that you would think would be done on Barbies and American Girl dolls. And my husband had to ban me from shopping at Jimbury because I would buy all of the hair things and the clothes you know and working with with girls in the classroom it was it was like i was they were extensions of my my kids but then i started to see things change like i left the classroom for 8 years to raise my babies i had my daughter and then i had my son and when we moved down to florida in 2012 2013 um i went back into the classroom and it was then that i really saw a change in girls that i saw back when i was a teacher in new york their confidence levels their self esteem this negative self talk was perpetuating out of them and the programs that the schools were using they were they were okay they weren't great um it was really up to the teachers themselves to take them and kind of mold them the the programs into how they would use them based on their personalities so I became the teacher with so much empathy and connecting with these girls that I just, I wanted to take them all home with me. Like I just wanted to be the mom, all of them. So when 2020 happened and the pandemic happened and I was working from home teaching in this room because I worked virtually and then went back into the classroom, I just saw even more issues with the girls after the pandemic. And Spent my my last year of teaching was not this past school year, but the year before that. And I spent so much time in the classroom with a group of girls trying to help them work through their relationships and their self-esteem problems and the negative self-talk that I would hear. It it kind of just came to me like this is this is what you have to do. Like you have to work directly with these girls because they need it. Like they need the coach that I needed when I was a little girl or that my daughter needed. And I had the tools back then, but not so much, you know, as I have now.
0: And did you feel that it was those pauses in your life of, you know, balancing motherhood and teaching that that is when you had those aha moments of knowing you had or you wanted to not you had
1: to you wanted to shift your career the pauses definitely helped i but it was re- the shift in the role in my head happened really after 2020 after i saw what that did to the girls and kids in general but girls specifically because they were always in the house They didn't have the interaction with the girl, with any other kids. So when they went back into the classroom, the restriction was there. They couldn't really connect with them. So the relationship gaps just got wider and wider and wider. And when I say the relationship gaps, I'm talking about with other girls and with themselves. They really didn't know how to perceive who they were.
0: That's fascinating. Now, okay, to that point, those girls you, you had mentioned before, like, that's the 18, the eight to 13 year range. What about that range specifically is so
1: important? Mm, That's a, that's a really good question because I have people that reach out to me. Well, my daughter is 15, 16, you know, can you work with them? And I stick to the eight to 13 year olds because Within that age range is really when you want to catch them and provide the tools. It's almost like a preventative time where you want to give them the tools then so when they move into their middle school and high school years, they can reach into their toolbox or their back pocket and have these things that they are armed with. And I use the word armed In the sense of like they have the understanding of how to take the tools and the language that they're learned and put it into play. So when they when they are fighting with their friends, instead of calling it bullying, which is what has happened a lot over the last well, when I left the classroom back in the early 2000s and then reentered. The term bully came into play so dramatically that kids just use that and they don't know how to problem solve. So these tools that I provide to my worthy girls are problem solving tools to help them in their friendships, to help them have a positive self image of themselves. So when they look in the mirror, they're not seeing, you know, like a negative reflection. They're saying, I am beautiful, I am worthy, I am strong, I am confident, I have a voice to share in this world, that they really are someone that matters.
0: I love that you were so thoughtful about it and recognized because I think that's so key to your point that that age range being so specific because it's before it gets to the point that it's so bad and so embedded and harder to
1: get them to probably like switch their mindset. No, and raising my daughter, like to go back to the question you had asked me before about how the roles played with one another, you know, experiencing her growing up between those times and afterwards, it really opened up my eyes to what she was going through. Um, You know, I was a teacher in elementary school, so I didn't experience the emotional overload of a seventh grade girl or a sixth grade girl you know, the the hormonal changes and the the mindset shifts that happen. So with eight to 13 year olds, you're really setting the stage for them. So when they are in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and even high school, they're able to manage it.
0: That is amazing. I I wish this was around when I was growing up. I'm telling you, (laughs) they're very lucky. So, okay. So as a girl empowerment coach, in working with that range, what are some common challenges that you've encountered and how
1: have you addressed those? A big one is friendship. How do girls manage friendships? And I mean, if you remember being a little girl, you can never have three friends. It can never be three of you because it's always two and then one is left out. There is, you know, the talking behind the girl's backs and not being able to trust. And so girls need to understand it's okay to express yourself. And that's really one big piece is learning to express your emotions and your feelings. And we talk about, I feel statements and really focusing on how we're feeling or how the girl is feeling rather than what the other person did, because they don't, they need to learn that they don't have control over other people, that they can only control themselves, that people's opinions of them is none of their business. It's really based on who they are. The biggest things I see are friendships and really understanding how to navigate healthy friendships and understanding that it's okay for your two friends to have a play date without you. It doesn't mean that they're not your friends. Just means that they want to have a play date with you, and it's okay for you to have a play date with another friend, the, another one not included. So they really don't understand when they're eight. Not being included is really—it's it, okay to not be included in everything. Another big piece is oh, their the negative self talk is like mind blowing. Like, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh so ugly oh that doesn't look good on me like and in eight and nine year olds you hear this it's the confidence level and the self-esteem that really is attributed to the social media that they're on
0: I was just gonna say do you think it's social media
1: because that's so sad absolutely social media plays such a big role in in what these girls are going through emotionally with their with their their self-image, their self-esteem, their confidence. Um, you know, this is a generation of instant gratification. Oh, someone liked my post. Oh, I have 10 posts. I have 10 likes. I have 15 likes. So why didn't why didn't you like my post? Like it, they look for that as a status holder. Whereas like that doesn't mean anything because the people that are liking your posts are not the people that are going to stand beside you when you're crying and when you need your when it you need help so they need to let go of the import of placing that importance on snapchat or tiktok or instagram or whatever social media platform they're on and understanding what true confidence feels like and who is the true important person in their life and that person is that's them knowing that they are the most important person in their life
0: ah I have to know this. No pressure. So, you know, there's always a debate, right, of when a child should have a phone and access to social media, like what is the age? But I'm really fascinated in your insight on that question because of the fact that, like, you know, both sides of it, you know, through the girls you work with
1: and as a mom. From a mom's standpoint, if I'm coming, like, I'm going to put the mom hat on right now. My my daughter got a phone when she went into when when she went into middle school, I believe, it was either fifth or sixth grade. The reason being is because it was the first time I was working in her life where she was able to communicate with me. So when you know, when I was working and then left the classroom originally, she was two years old. So when she went School when we moved down here and I went back into, into work and school, um, she got a phone because I needed her to reach out to me if she needed to. And granted, my husband worked from home. My son got a phone probably around sixth grade, also when he went into middle school, because of all of the fear that was happening in the schools the shootings, the lockdowns, and everything. I needed him to be able to, like, God forbid something happened, I needed him to be able to reach out to us, you know, to have that phone accessible, God forbid something happened. Same with my daughter. So we blocked a lot of stuff and put on time restraints on their phones. So this way they didn't, you know, they had access to certain apps, but not like certain ones when they were young. So we blocked Snapchat TikTok wasn't a thing when they were really younger. Um, Snapchat was really the issue. So our daughter didn't get Snapchat until she was close to high school age. As a coach now, I see the effect that phones have on girls. And like one of my worthy girls now, I see her on Instagram and the posts are adorable. They're just cute little selfies and, you know, where she's going and things like that. Um, And they're, you know, a lot of them are on TikTok doing the TikTok dances. so it's. It really has a lot to do with parenting and monitoring your kids and knowing what they're on and what they're on, what they're not on, what they're doing and what they're not doing. You know, as a mom, I drop the ball a lot because, you know, the kids are in their bedrooms and they're on their phones and you can't you can't see them all the time. But as a coach, it worries me because these kids are alone a lot and they do hide what they're doing on social media, you know, with private accounts and public accounts and like, oh, you can see this, but I'm going to hide this. And it's concerning and it definitely has a big impact on them.
0: Okay. Given what you just said, do you also feel with those two hats that you're wearing that as a coach, you get more cooperation from the parents with the knowing the limits of, you know, phone usage and stuff like that because they're coming to you using your skills and r- realizing your value as a coach vir- versus when you were a teacher, uh, I- I'm just, you know, like gassing, I could be totally wrong. Like y- you were maybe getting resistance or, you know, from parents because they weren't necessarily like
1: listening to the insight that you were providing or suggestions you would give. I'm, I'm, Big on building relationships. So when I was in the classroom, and even now um, as a coach, I would always make sure to connect with the parents because they are my first line of defense. You know, if something's going on with the child, I need to be able to reach out to them. If I saw something concerning with their child and I reached out to them, they knew that it was coming from a place of love because when the parents first come into my classroom, the first thing I say to them, it, you know aside from introducing myself and all that stuff i said you know you're yes i'm your child's teacher but your your child also has a mom in the classroom so i am going to be both of those people to your child this way they know that they are being educated and they're being loved when they're seven hours with me when I go to parents about a concern I have, whether it was on a device, if I saw something concerning that a child was doing on their iPad, or even now as a coach, if a parent comes to me with a concern, they know that my my point of view is always going to come from a place of love, that their child is is in my life and I'm going to give them everything that I am. I hope
0: that both the students and the parents appreciated how much you cared. Yeah,
1: I I hope so, too. Like it was it was important to me for every child and every parent that entered my classroom in one way or another to know that I wasn't just there to teach lessons. And, yeah, the lessons were there and I had to follow the curriculum and whatever administration told me. And a lot of times we butt heads on that because Teachers wear so many hats, you know, where we're teachers, were parents, we're therapists, where, you know, doctors sometimes, you know, we just were so many people to these kids that sometimes teaching went to the back burner. And now as a coach, I can really focus in on everything for those kids. Like I'm teaching them, I'm helping them, you know, I'm providing, I'm giving them love and support and understanding
0: Okay, well, along those lines, you know, with the things that you're, you're now able to do as a coach, strategies, of worthy girls, employees, like societal pressures, addressing the stereotypes, specifically, what are some things that you do to help young girls with their potential in countering those things?
1: We do a lot of talking, a lot of talking about what they're going through um experiences that they've had and how to take the the focus areas that I'm teaching on and incorporate it into real life. So if I'm doing a lesson on, I mean, we were just talking about this, like expressing yourself, expressing your feelings in a healthy manner and not blaming other people, we talk about I feel statements, you know, how to really use that in your language to express how you're feeling in a non-aggressive way. So knowing that an I feel statement is not necessarily going to be polite because the other person may not like to hear it, but they they need to express how they're feeling and the other person understand it. I have a belief that kids learn three different ways. They learn by talking, they learn by writing, and they learn by doing. We have a lot of discussions in Worthy Girls. Every session... Um, The girls write a journal entry based on the topic. So this way they can just kind of get their thoughts going. And then we do some sort of project or craft or writing like a activity of some sort, not always a craft, but it's like some sort of activity, whether they're working together or whether we're working like as a, as a group, um, doing a craft, creating something. Those three ways are really the, the format that these girls are learning. And now,
0: do you find that it's easier? Like, well, first of all, or uh, is it more common that you're working one-on-one with girls or groups of girls? And do you have a limit because you have found like if you keep the group smaller, it's more
1: productive than you know the, a, a larger group? Um, so I do this in group group settings. I do have specific one-on-ones that I will I. Move into the groups. So, like, if it's a one-on-one, there's a reason for it, with the goal to bring that girl into a group setting. So that girl, like, if if it is a one-on-one, I find a lot of my girls have anxiety. That's a big. That's a big one right now is anxiety and not knowing how to really calm themselves down. When they're working one-on-one, they they understand that it's really just the two of us that the safe space is there. And that's a big thing is creating that safe space for these girls, whether it's a one-on-one or in a group setting that when they are with me, it it is a safe space for them to be and talk and whatever it is that they're going through. They really just um, need to know that what they're going through is unique because although the girls are, you know, some of them, so many of them have either anxiety or you know self-image or confidence. Each person's story is different and they're unique. So if one person is struggling a lot and they're just with me one-on-one, then we work through some of the stuff and we move them in when they are ready.
0: So they know they have shared, let's say, feelings like, oh, I have anxiety, so does my friend. But the way in which they have something or they're experiencing it is unique or specific to them. And that's what you help them realize. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. If you wouldn't mind, can you share a success story or a testimonial of one of the
1: girls that's a worthy girl that impacted you? Yeah, I have one girl. She was a student of mine in fourth grade. And a lot, a lot of the girls were my former students, but she was a student of mine during the pandemic when I taught from this room when I was here. So she was in my zoom class. We kept that connection, you know, through the years. she's now, she just finished sixth grade and her mom and her mom has always been a big supporter of me and everything that I do. And immediately put her daughter into worthy girls. When I launched it, she has said to me, Multiple times how much her daughter has um, come out of her shell, how she um, expresses herself now, whereas back you know, a few years ago, she would hold her emotions in where she uses the language from worthy girls, the I feel statements and the positive self-talk um, where she now writes down things that are going on in her life that are positive. And focuses on that and some challenges. So when we talk, she has this whole list of things that she really wants to go through because she doesn't want to hold it in anymore. One of my girls, she is in seventh grade. So she had turned 13 right before, right as like we launched it. Um, And her sister is in it as well. So there are siblings in it. So she um was not a joiner. She didn't want to do anything ever. After being in Worthy Girls for four months, she joined the volleyball team, the basketball team, and her mom just told me how much she has flourished in that way.
0: Talk about a transformation, though. That's like zero to 60. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I could go on and on. And you see and as a teacher, I saw that in the classrooms, you know, with academics and everything. And of course, I saw it as the kids matured. But this, you know, it's a 12 month program and she's going through this whole program and I just see the transformation happening, you know, and it's 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 amazing to watch it.
0: I think it's incredible that you're changing little girls' opinions about themselves, which is having more positive impact on their relationships with their friends. But I didn't even think of this till you brought it up when you mentioned the fact that you have two sisters and how it could impact even the sibling relationship. That's like a whole nother thing. And that's pretty um incredible also.
1: The the sisters, you know, appear to have gotten a lot closer since being in the group together.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so given the incredible roles that you filled that I mentioned, teacher, mother, leader, what is a significant impact that each of those
1: roles has had on you? I think I mean the teacher the teacher part happened before kids. You know, I became a teacher because my mom said become a teacher. So, when you're married and have kids, you can have the summers and vacations off. So, I was like, oh, okay. Being a mom has been the greatest job ever and has had the most significant impact on me, which impacted worthy girls. Like, there wouldn't be one without the other. You know, my daughter, who's 19 now and is in college, is a huge advocate for women. And everything that's happening right now and is just such a powerhouse for her generation. You know, if if Worthy Girls was around when she was little, I couldn't even imagine how much more powerful she would have been. So because of watching her grow up and become who she is and launching Worthy Girls, so I had this visual of like, wow, so this is who my daughter has become. Imagine what these girls can become. So as a coach, I have that, that powerful belief that these girls can make a significant impact with these tools that they're being given. Um, it's It's inspired me being a mom, being a teacher, being a coach to be the very best version of myself all the time because I'm learning so much from these girls the same way that they're learning from me.
0: That is so impactful. And the fact that you are bettering generations of young women that are future. I can't even think of something that's more uh, selfless and incredible and that you, you know, you should be amazingly proud of yourself. (laughs) You're going to make
1: me cry. (laughs) Happy tears, happy tears. Yes, only happy tears, yes. For
0: all the positivity and good you're doing in the world. You know, that's like amazing that your daughter at the age she's at now, uh, like, wow, what respect and um, what a role model she has in you, you know, beyond all the other things that you do. This
1: is really unique and special. She's my OG worthy girl. So like the muse for it all. <laughs> yes, she's my muse.
0: Absolutely. Given the fact that you are a role model to like your daughter and the girls that you've had come through the Worthy Girls program, um, who at that age range was a impactful role model to you, that eight to thirteen year age range?
1: I think as an eight-year-old. My role model at the time was my mom. Oh, You know, my mom was a school secretary. She worked every day. Um, you know, I would see her, she would drop me off at school. I'd see her go to work and, you know, I'd come home and I'd see her come home. She worked a full-time job. She made dinner for us every night. We sat down at the table every single night as a family and had dinner. She did stuff with me. You know, she would sit down with me and play Barbies and she would um helped me with my homework and she would talk to me about being a girl and challenges that I would go through and I would talk to her about everything. She made sure that the lines of communication were always open with her and they still are to this day. So I think it at in that age range it was definitely my mom. Granted, I mean, you know, I hit the 13-year-old range and I became, you know, a re- little bit rebellious. I wasn't I was a very easy teenager between the ages of 8 and 13 it was definitely her now my role model as i you know as a mom and as a coach and as a woman i greatly respect um michelle obama she really emulates for me strength as a woman you know she supported her husband going through all of his political stuff and his journey that he went through even though she wasn't so up for it she still supported him and went into that role of first lady with with a positive attitude and she impacted children and she you know healthy eating and the gardens that she did and the the, her daughters grew up to be these incredible girls that are impacting other people now. I mean, her oldest daughter now is involved in the film and TV industry and she's writing all of these things. So, you know, and as an author also, like she's getting her story out and telling her story and her strength and her power and her impact, just as a woman, as a mother, as a coach, as a political figure or just a woman of the world, I highly just respect her in so many different ways.
0: Oh, that is a great top one to have because I I agree. She's pretty freaking amazing. (laughs) Yes, she is. Yeah. Let's say you got someone like you, you were able to get worthy girls in front of someone like her. What is your like goal with worthy girls long-term? Like, would you like to get it integrated into the school system? Do you feel like, no, it's best actually if there is a separation from the school system and it just aligns with their life as students?
1: So ultimately, I want Worthy Girls to go global. I want it to impact girls everywhere, to have a community of their own that they can hone in on and have that support. As far as schools go, I don't necessarily see it being part of the school curriculums as much as I see it being more of um, an enrichment that schools can offer maybe like after school programs where i would come in and work with the girls you know it in order for it to be part of a curriculum it has to be approved by the board of education which is the districts and everything and they have there's a lot of red tape that you have to jump over and i feel as though in my beliefs in what i want worthy girls to be and its inclusivity the diversification of it I don't feel like I want it to be part of a school system that's going to kind of tear it apart. My goal is to expand it out to the country and bring it to, you know, some other countries where the girls really need that empowerment. Third world countries where the girls are not held at such a high esteem, where they need the education on confidence and positive self-talk and how to really identify who they are in this world. I think it's smart to keep it out of the school
0: system, like you said, because of all the stuff that they can do to mess it up. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's just so much going on right now with the diversity, equality, and inclusion that are being cut out of the schools that, you know, That's it goes that goes against everything that I'm trying to build with worthy girls, you know, so it's, it's not something I want to bring into the curriculum, but definitely something I want to bring into the enrichment piece. I
0: wish you the best of luck with that because I think that's an amazing goal. And I hope that, you know, I start to see it pop up in all the, uh, you know, the cities around the U.S. and to your point, your dream of outside the U.S. in the countries that really need that support. You as an outsider can help give that voice that supports them and uplifts them and, you know, provides maybe like the courage that they need to take the step to. Become worthy girls. Oh, worthy girls become worthy women. I love that. To learn more about Amy and the amazing girl empowerment events she has coming up, visit her IG page at Amy Ensign and at We Are Worthy Girls and check out her website, www.worthygirls.com. Worthy Girls is truly worthy of time. I just think what you have going here is an incredible idea and has so much positivity tied to it and truly um, can change the future. For more details, make sure to check out The Gal in the Go Unplugged show notes. Thank you for taking
1: the time to unplug with me today, Amy. Thank you so much, Kimberly. This was an absolute pleasure
0: pleasure also speaking with you having you here and to my listeners be curious be kind and be bold